got notes? Okay, we're back at it. This is week four, and the topic tonight is seeing David in the Messiah. This is actually one of the main aspects of the prophetic destiny of Israel that it's prophesied and promised that she is going to recognize her Messiah. And so it's important that we understand why she hasn't um, mostly and why she will mostly. So I'm going to pray before we get started. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you come? Would you light on the things that are said in this room? Would you highlight things that unlock? I just see like lots of keys just falling down all at the same time. So Lord, I pray everybody's key, the key that we need for the thing that you want to show us, that we'd grab a hold of it, that we'd use that key. So if there's something that like you, you haven't heard before, I feel like the Lord says pray into it. Like just jot it down, even take a mental note, jot it down. So Lord, would you help us? to explore more of who you are, that this would not be just a a thing that we hear and then it goes away from us. Let us hear what you're saying so we can go further with you and Israel in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so item one, Israel cannot see David in Yeshua until they turn to the Lord, and neither can we. So the idea is that there's, no, there's not two plans of salvation. There's not two, like one way for Israel to know all this stuff of the Bible and another way for you to know all this stuff of the Bible. There's just the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to really know what the Bible's talking about. That's the only way to really understand it. And we have to come out of the flesh and into the Spirit according to the Bible. So that's not just like one denomination's theology. That's what the Bible says over and over again. So even right now, Holy Spirit, we just want you to take us out of our flesh, the way that we try to logic things out and think about things, and take us into the Spirit, and then help explain things to our flesh in Jesus' name. So your flesh, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's saying this, your flesh isn't bad, all right? So it's important to know your flesh unled by God is, is evil, but your flesh led by God is actually the way you were made to be. And so you, you want understanding. When you hear me saying over and over, don't think about it in the flesh, you got to think about it in the spirit. What I mean is you have to start thinking about it in the spirit. But the spirit always wants to illuminate your flesh or glorify your flesh. The, the spirit wants to bring you in understanding. And you know this just from following God for as long as you have. You know there are some things that the Holy Spirit shows you and you don't understand them at first, but you believe them in faith. And then over time you get understanding. It's just human beings are impatient and arrogant. And we naturally want to get our understanding, and we're like, okay, God, is that right? And he wants to do it the other way around. He wants to show us things that are true and then give us understanding over time. It just puts us in a different position. It puts us in a child position instead of a a king or a father position, right? And that's what Adam and Eve messed up at the beginning. They wanted to know good and evil on their own. It wasn't that God didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. He wanted to tell them and give them understanding over time, okay? So Israel cannot see David in Yeshua until they turn to the Lord, and neither can we. This is Zechariah twelve ten, which we, if you remember, we talked about the siege of Jerusalem and the way that God is going to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. And this is really just kind of trying to tie us back together to those messages from a few weeks ago. And I will pour on the house of David. Everybody say David. Why does he say David? Why the house of David? Why not the 12 tribes of Israel? Why doesn't he say, I'll pour out on all my people Israel? Why does, why does he pick out one guy? from all of Israel's history 
This is something we should be asking God. God, why do you say you'll pour? What, what, I mean, what is the house of David? Do you know where the house of David is right now? So he says, I'll pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then, everybody say then. They will look on me whom they pierce. They can't look on God. They can't look at Yeshua and see him for who he really is until the spirit of grace and supplication is poured out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So if you're looking for where salvation is going to start in Israel, it's going to start in the house of David in the city of Jerusalem. You might be like, well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be like all over. No, it's, it, the Bible is so specific about how this is going to work. And I want to tell you, it's going to work through the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is God's plan to make Israel jealous and actually want something so that he can give it to her so that she receives it in that place. And then it will spread out from there. That's how, so that's how all of the redemptive plan has worked. It's, it's come to people that want it, and then witnesses shine it, and then it spreads out from there as people agree with it, okay? So uh, it says that they will look at me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now, interesting, the grammar of this passage, this is obviously Zechariah prophesying something God the Father is saying, and he's saying they'll look on me whom they've pierced. When Jesus was pierced, so was the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so not only can Israel not see Yeshua rightly, they really can't see the Father if they can't see Yeshua. Does that make sense? But they have, they have knowledge of the Father because he has graced them with so many witnesses of their own people who know him. It's just we, we can't, ten, we tend to, and we're the same way. The point is not how Israel's getting it wrong. The point is what does God want us to do? The whole point of this message tonight is how can we grow in a way that makes Israel jealous to want to know Yeshua as well, okay? And this is really the point. But we've had lots of examples of God's heart, like Moses and Daniel and David. It's very hard for us, if we're not intentional with the Holy Spirit, to connect. How, does, how do I see Jesus in Moses and Moses and Jesus? How do I see Daniel in Jesus and Jesus and Daniel? How do I see me in Moses, Daniel, and Jesus? Because all of us are going to be one. That's the promise that Jesus gives in the promise of Hebrews 11 and 12, is that this great cloud of witnesses is waiting for perfection until we come into the fullness of our inheritance. And so we want to understand, like, where in my life, where do I have these Moses moments in my life, and where do I hold myself accountable like I hold Moses accountable for where he was successful and where he failed? If Israel would do this with David and Yeshua, they would see, oh, Yeshua has David's heart. David had Yeshua's heart. And it would actually be very easy for them to see Yeshua as Messiah. But they can't do that. And there's a specific reason that they can't do it. And there's a specific way they're going to do it. And that way and reason is you. It's actually what you do here. And it's very rare what you do here. It's very rare, even for a house of prayer, for people to have access, A, to a place where they can be heard. Like lots of houses of prayer you could go to and you can't really be heard at. Abriel, it, at IHOP, can everybody in the room go up and be heard? No, they can't. And that's, that's common in most houses of prayer. But it's going to change over time. And that's really what the sifting of the house of prayer is doing right now. It's creating access for people that want to hear and say. There's going to be a lot more opportunity for people in the next couple of months that are part of houses of prayer just to participate because there's going to be a lot more need for them to participate. God's doing something really unique right now, okay? So Israel knows that the Messiah is the son of David. 
So when you think of coming here and doing the tabernacle of David, you have to know Israel's looking for somebody like David to be their Messiah. Now, you might have in your heart, I want to be a witness of Jesus. I really want to be a witness of Jesus, and I know Israel's going to get a witness of Jesus, and it's going to make her spiritually jealous, but you might not understand that the witness of Jesus she's going to get that the Bible says is going to make her spiritually jealous is the tabernacle of David. And that's really clearly spelled out in Acts 15. If you're taking notes, write down Acts 15. James actually said, we don't have to teach all these Gentile converts to Judaism that believe in Yeshua the Messiah, the Jewish law. It's about the tabernacle of David. That's where the two become one man, in the tabernacle of David. Okay? So Israel knows, though, that the, that the Messiah is the son of David. Luke 18, 35 to 43. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, this is Jesus coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was saying, you are the Messiah. That's what he was saying. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. We say faith. It was faith that caused him to cry out, son of David. That's really the only thing he said to Jesus besides Jesus' given name that somebody else had told him. It was, his, it was his faith that Jesus was the son of David, okay? And this is what Jesus is commending him for. And he says, that was the door. You opened a door of faith, and I came in through that door, okay? And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, David is the only human in the Bible known as the man after God's heart. You won't see anyone else given that title, the man after God's heart. This should be important, and it should be the most important concept to explore for people who want to know God's heart. Do you want to know God's heart? Just say yes if you want to know God's heart. Then you should be a student of the man after God's heart, because you are a human, like David, and David's life is an example of how to be a person after God's heart. Was David good? No, <laughs> he was not good. He knew he wasn't good. He said, I was born in sin. He said, I've been sinful since before I was conceived. I, was, I literally came forward in sin. David was faithful. Faithful and good are two totally different things, okay? But David was righteous, not because he was good. David was righteous because he was faithful. And he says it in Psalm 18. He says, God rescue me because of the cleanliness of my hands. He's, David knew he was righteous, not because he was good, because he was faithful, okay? And the Bible says this. Literally, probably about a hundred ways. And we know it says this. We know you're saved by faith and not by works. We know that. But we don't generally know how to apply that to the way we see Israel and the way we see our own walk with Yeshua because there's so much flesh in the way trying to get us to conform to a culture on earth and not a culture in heaven. But David, he was a man after God's heart. He conformed to a culture in heaven and actually did not conform to the culture on earth all around him. And you want to be the same way because you want to be a witness in this hour and the earth is going apostate quick, okay? The church is going apostate quick. And you know that already just by watching it, okay? So this should be important to us to know about David, like what made David the man after God's heart. Um, that should be important for us to explore because we want to know God's heart and we want to know the Messiah, right? We want to know Jesus. Now, right now, God is raising up shepherds for Israel that will highlight this to Israel, the, the main message God is raising up for Israel is a David message. 
a, a Yeshua in David, David in Yeshua message. This is what the Bible says actually several times in several places in the point of the message tonight. Okay, so Jeremiah 3, 14 to 17. Return, O backslidden children, speaking to Israel, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. Now, Zion is Jerusalem, and specifically to Mount Zion, which is the Temple Mount. And I will give you, now there's three Mount Zions. There's three everything in Jerusalem, but the, the way in the context here, it's actually the Temple Mount. And I'll show you that with the, the throne of the Lord, okay? But Jesus is going to rule and reign from the tabernacle of David is what I mean, from the temple. I'll give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, when you hear that, shepherds after my heart, it should click David's. I'm going to give you shepherds like David. Was David a shepherd? Yes, that's how he started, right? Now, they'll feed you with knowledge and understanding. It should trigger something in you. What do you think about when you hear feed you with knowledge and understanding? That sounds like a New Testament thing. Like, where is that in the New Testament? So it tells Peter, feed my sheep. Very good. Good. That's a shepherd feeding sheep. Where else? Like, if Peter was like, okay, Jesus, what do you mean? Like, Jesus would say, what, what does that mean? Give the other servants food when? At the right time. So this, this is all talking about the same thing. Jesus says, who is the wise servant who I find will make him ruler over my household? He who I find doing so, giving the other servants the right food at the right time. That's Matthew uh, 7. Right? No. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Sorry. Matthew 24. And right at the end of Matthew 24. Just before Matthew 25 in the parable of the ten bridesmaids and the, the uh, wise and faithful servant. So my point is... This is a consistent theme throughout the, the gospel that we believe, that we understand, that we've been given. It's just if we don't tie it back to what it actually means, we'll miss the whole point, and we'll think it's some ethereal thing. Like, God, i got to know what are the messages you're releasing right now to the world so I can give the right food at the right time. But the, the message is the shepherd after my own heart message. It's, the, it's people after God's heart. It's, this is really simple. We make it way harder when we think prophecy is magic. Prophecy is not magic. Prophecy is agreeing with God about what he said and him telling us how to agree with him next or what he just did. It's, this is really simple, actually, what God is asking us to do. Okay? And he says it here in Jeremiah. He says they're going to feed you with knowledge and understanding. These are, the, these are the wise and faithful servants that Jesus highlights in Matthew 24. Then it shall come to pass, then... When you're multiplied and increased in the land in those days, is, is that now? Is Israel increased and multiplied in the land? Yes, tremendously. I mean, it's never happened in world history where a nation was completely scattered from its homeland, its language destroyed, 2,000 years passes, God brings them back. In one day, a nation becomes a nation. In about 40 years, a language is reborn, and a, a whole place is known as the place of the Jewish people. Like, this has happened. Right now, we should understand, okay, it's like if, you know, David was at a play at the Civic and like, so, I'm assuming there's some stage crew that's like, okay, next scene, scene change. Like, we're at the scene change. There should be all hands on deck, like getting ready to do the next thing. Do you see what I'm saying? But there's mostly not. There's, this is confusing to the American church, the idea of the tabernacle of David, because it's not in our culture. But I want to tell you, it makes complete sense to the Jewish culture. When when they see what we do, they will understand it instantly because it's, it's actually the biblical plan to give Israel a witness is what we do, okay? So this is very rare and unique, though, in all of, the, all of Christendom. 
lot of the church thinks that we're supposed to be like the crusaders, not like David. The reason Israel missed Jesus as the Messiah is they wanted him to be a crusader, not like David. They just wanted him to be a crusader on their side. (laughs) But they weren't understanding that Jesus was just like David, and David was just like Jesus, okay? Because Jesus is God, and if David's a man after God's heart, he's a man after Jesus' heart too, right? Okay, so then it shall come to pass when you're multiplied and increased in the land of those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, where was the ark of the covenant of the Lord? It was in David's tabernacle, and then it was in the temple. Solomon took what David put in a tent, and he put it in the temple. And when Jeremiah was prophesying, the ark of the covenant was in the temple. It was in the Davidic worship movement. He's saying, that's not the point. There's something going away. The presence of the Lord himself is coming Jesus is going to reign from this tabernacle of David. So they they won't care about the ark. It'd be like if I got a picture of Annie and then Annie shows up and I just keep looking at the picture. Be like, man, Annie, it's so good to see you. And she'd be like, I'm right here. You don't need the picture anymore. He's saying you don't need, you won't need the ark when this happens, right? And all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. Or I'm sorry, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. That means Jesus is present, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. Now, the flesh cannot discern why David is the man after God's heart. Speaking of the ministry of death, that's the law, and the ministry of the Spirit, Paul says this most remarkable thing about Israel and about you, both. He's talking about both things, Israel and you. Because remember, there's not two plans of salvation. There's not like one for Israel. There's not one way Israel gets to know God and another way for you. There's just the Spirit, just the Spirit. And you've got the Spirit. And if you don't actually get into deeper and deeper leadership of the Spirit, now, where would you find more and more leadership of the Holy Spirit? Just you, knowing what you know. Where's the most effective place you've ever found to get more of the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Right here. Prayer. Yes. Not, I mean, not just this place, but this, this concept of gathering together with other people that hear God, letting them disrupt the way that you hear God, hearing what they hear, thinking about it, praying about it, talking to God, and living life with them and seeing good fruit and seeing bad fruit and being like, okay, I think I don't want to know God that way, or I do want to know God this way. And over time, we stir each other up to love and good works. You need both parts. I mean, one part's not bad and one part's not good. I mean, if you don't learn God the way that everybody else in the Bible did, you didn't learn God. And all those guys learned it messing up and doing good. So, like, the whole idea is, oh, I can come here and believe that God is good in the process of a bunch of people that don't know him or do know him or in different places. And in that process, I can get stirred up to more and more knowledge of him. That's what he's going to do for us and for Israel both, okay? So, listen, Second Corinthians three thirteen to 18. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face. Now, why did Moses put a veil over his face? Why was he all glowy, Barbara? Because he spent time with God. He was a forerunner. He was a shepherd. He, he, he literally was a shepherd. But he was a witness to Israel. You can, you can actually hang out with God and know him, and this is what happens to you. But it was such a, a differential between Moses and the rest of the people that he veiled it. Okay, that's what this is really talking about. So the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, when Moses went up on the mountain and got shiny, what did God give him to bring down to Israel? The law. He gave them the law. And 
he's saying this is nothing compared to people that get the spirit, okay? That's the kind of the point, okay? So their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. The law could not do what the spirit can do. In the context, the full context of 2 Corinthians 3 is highlighting this will never work to try and learn about God. You actually have to see people that know God and then learn how they connected to God. If Israel would have thought about why Jesus was making the decisions he was making instead of the decisions that he was making, they could have easily seen David in the way that Jesus carried his heart and connected with God and made decisions. Because if they would have just humbled themselves and realized what Jesus said to them, which was, you build tombs to the prophets, but if they lived in your day, you would have killed them. And David, you would have killed him. Like, you wouldn't have liked him either is kind of what he's saying, right? David was one of the main prophets that Jesus was referring to. And we're going to see that in the notes tonight, that he actually mentioned this a few times to them. So we have to to get, this is like so important to understand that we don't come here to learn about God. We come here to learn about hearing God. And when we hear God, then he teaches us about himself and he gives us understanding over time. He glorifies our flesh that gets sanctified, Right? And your, your flesh has to get sanctified before it can get glorified. If you think to yourself, I'm just going to learn everything, and that will sanctify me, that's not the way it works. Your flesh has to get sanctified to get glorified. And that, there's a glory to knowing God. There's a glory to understanding God. Does that make sense? So, so I'm really talking about humility, okay? Um, okay, so back to this passage. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. And nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now, does that remind you a little bit of Zechariah 12.10, where it says God's going to pour out a spirit of grace and supplication right at the top of the page, and then they're going to look at him, and then they're going to mourn. They're going to, they're going to get a grace to turn to the Lord and see something that breaks their heart so that they can receive the Messiah. You need the same thing. <laughs> you need the same thing. You need to receive a grace to turn to the Lord. You, you're not making a decision to turn to the Lord. You can cry out that you would turn to the Lord, and he will release a grace to you to do that. You can see witnesses of people that have turned to the Lord, and you can tell God, I want to be, I want whatever happened in that life, do that to me. Now, in Philippians and in Ephesians, we find out Paul tells really clearly what happened in his life that got him so much revelation of God. What happened to Paul's life that got him so much revelation of God? Shipwrecks, beatings. A cross, chains. He said to the Philippians, I, I want you to have the same chains I have. So when we see people that really know God, we actually see people that are like Yeshua. We see people that are growing in the experience of a cross, and we're actually supposed to be people that are like, it's worth it. That was, what Jesus experienced was victory. That wasn't defeat on the cross, right? That was victory. And he said, come follow me. So I actually, I'm willing to take the rebuke of the people I know for people to think I'm foolish for just giving myself to this Holy Spirit. But the proof is in the pudding. Over time, I will be seen as somebody who knows God. That's very important. That's what Israel needs. They don't need people that think they know about God. They got literally uh, millions of them in Israel, people that think they know about God. They need people that know God right? That's different. It comes with a cross. That's how you know you know God. People start treating you like they treated Jesus, and that comes with a cross, okay? And there's really no salvation apart from what I'm saying. There's no, like, okay, I'll just take the easier route, the kiddie ride at, at Cedar Point. You guys go on the big, you know, Gemini or whatever the big ride is now. It's probably not the Gemini, but 
there's only one ride. There's just one narrow road that takes you to this place, okay? And it's hard. Very few are going to find it, but you want to. Okay, so now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, now I circled unveiled face with red for a reason. You're going to see it on the next page. Beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So how do you get to be more like Yeshua? Say it loud. You behold him. You look at him. Can, Steph, can you see everything about Jesus? Do you have a capacity to see everything about him? You and I together, can we see more of him than just you by yourself? Am I part of his body? Am I like one of his arms? So to behold Jesus isn't just to like sit in a room. Sam and I were soaking this afternoon, which was glorious. We looked at Jesus for a minute, but we just saw a very narrow part. I'm seeing more of Jesus here because I'm seeing all of you. You guys are part of his body. You're all people that theoretically should be people after his heart that actually want to be taught and transformed and shown your sin and broken in your heart so that you can receive something like that Zechariah 12 passage. But we get messed up in this process, don't we? We stumble when we feel like we're not good. We actually get ashamed and we start to cover up and we get a church face and we come do church things. We don't want anybody to know all of our junk. That is what's preventing Israel from seeing Yeshua as David and David as Yeshua. Because you are representing, not only are you representing Jesus, it's not like you're just a postcard or a picture. You're literally, he's put the weight of being his body on you, on you. So our unwillingness to be found out like David and to be persecuted like Jesus and David, it's actually preventing Israel from seeing their Messiah because they don't understand. They can't understand. They have to see the spirit, right? And you have the spirit. Okay, so Holy Spirit, help us to really not count the blood of Christ as worthless, like it says in Hebrews 10, but let us gather together, stir up each other in love and good works, go boldly before this throne of grace in the new and living way, in Jesus' name. Okay, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, page two. I'm kind of cranking through these notes because there's five pages, well, four and a quarter pages, and I feel like the Lord told me to finish them all, so... Item E, Paul is describing the tabernacle of David as he lays out his theology, okay? So when you look back at this 2 Corinthians 3, 18, 3, 13 to 18, which is one of literally my favorite passages in the Bible, I've probably quoted it nearly as much as Matthew 7, but not quite. When you look at this 1 Corinthians, beholding in, the image, the, uh, beholding in a mirror the image of the Lord uh, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, what he's really talking about is the tabernacle of David. And if you look at the full context of 2 Corinthians, you'll see it. But you have to literally read the whole chapter. Well, not the whole chapter. The last few chapters, uh, the whole book. Now, the last few chapters kind of, he gets into other more practical stuff. But if you just take 2 Corinthians like uh, 1 through 7, you'll see, oh, he's literally talking about what you guys do week in and week out, several prayer meetings a week doing it. Okay, so Paul is describing the tabernacle of David as he lays out his theology. One of the things he says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, he says, Therefore, because of all the stuff he said before that, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You can only do that, literally only do that at the mercy seat. You can only do that at the Ark of the Covenant. You can only do that in the tabernacle of praise. You can only do that in the tabernacle of David. That's where the cleanliness comes from. 
right? That's where the blood was applied. That's where the sacrifices mattered were in these tabernacles, okay? So Paul taught that this was done in going boldly before the throne together, this, this cleansing ourselves of filthiness and of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says, let's, you can't just like sit by yourself and think about Jesus and become a better person. It's actually not about you becoming a better person. You're not supposed to be a better person that doesn't need God. It's about you seeing Jesus and seeing yourself as a part of Jesus's body and recognizing that there's a grace for you to get something from God, not for you to offer God a perfect sacrifice. You couldn't. If it was all dependent on you offering yourself as a perfect sacrifice, Jesus would have never come and become the perfect sacrifice for us. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the one we look at. And then we see in ourselves that there's a grace to just tell him we want to be more like him. And he orchestrates our circumstances to make that happen. And you've, ex- you've all experienced this to some measure already. Okay, So I'm not telling you really anything new. I'm just kind of articulating it in a way that we could think about it in this context. Okay, so Paul taught that this was done going into the throne room together. That is literally the tabernacle of David. That's what the tabernacle of David was for. Hebrews 10, 19 to 26. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated us for us through the veil. So when you see that circled through the veil, I want you to go back to page one and look at verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. But we all with unveiled face, right? You've got to go through this veil. What is the veil? What's the veil? Go back up even higher to Jeremiah or to um, 2 Corinthians 3, and we go up to verse 15. So verse 18 says, the unveiled face. What is the veil? What's the veil lying on our hearts? Our flesh, our unwillingness to turn to the Lord to try and know God without actually turning to God. That's what most of us do most of the time. If we're really honest, that's what we mostly spend our time doing. Somebody says something new, the very first thing we will typically do is think about it. But thinking about it is what's keeping Israel from seeing Yeshua. Do you see what I'm saying? So when one turns to the Lord, though, when we say, God, this is new to me. But I see good fruit in the vessel it's coming from. Give it to me. Not is it true, not doubt, not I don't know. But I see this has produced something in this person. There's good fruit there. I want to eat from this tree. God, give it to me. You will get it for yourself and see it differently. You will actually go from glory to glory, strength to strength. Not your, (laughs) this is where our flesh gets us messed up. We're like, okay, I got to item C. Now it's time for me to go to item D. But you're the body of Christ. The body of Christ is somewhere you're not. We're supposed to together go glory to glory, strength to strength. But we're mostly like, no, not unless I get it from me. I'm doing my thing next. I want my thing next. That's, the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. It is an individual experience of humility, not arrogance. It's not an individual experience of our own personal glory. It's our individual experience of our own personal death. Do you get the difference? This is so important because if we don't go on to perfection, we are falling away and we can't be saved according to Hebrews 6. We actually have to be like, okay, the body of Christ is at a place. I I want that and I want to go further, but not by myself. And I don't want to get stuck behind by myself. 
I just want to move with the body of Jesus in humility, and I don't know how to do that. How would a person do that if, if like, there was, like, let's just say there was this young lady, and she had been working in the field. Her brothers actually made her work in the field, and she was dark, but she was kind of lovely, and she'd be like, where do you feed your other servants? And he was like, just hang out by the shepherd's tents. Humble yourself. This isn't a choose-your-own-adventure all-about-you ride. This is about you finding out what does the body of Christ know and how do I go from glory to glory with it? Do you see what I'm saying? It's very humble what I'm saying. You do what I'm saying, it'll kill your flesh. It will kill your pride. It will kill your, uh, your offense mechanism in here because it's so offensive to think there's, that other people know stuff that you not only do you not know, you're really not, you weren't supposed to refigure it all out. You're supposed to take it in faith because of the good fruit and go forward with people. And over time, you become one body. This is the way the church was birthed. It wasn't birthed by everybody being, okay, this is the, you know, this is the 27 messages you missed already. Here's the homework. Try to catch up to us and, you know, we'll throw you some lines as we keep going. It was just, hey, we love God. We look at him. He's gathering us, one from a family, two from a city, and bringing us into the fullness of his knowledge. And it's going to take forever, so don't get upset. Don't get too impatient. Don't get too self-focused about this. Just come. Let's go together. Let's do this thing together. Let's die to ourselves and let him do something with us. So this is what Israel needs to see. You see, this is what Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't a pyramid leader. He wasn't like, I'm the strongest. I just healed that guy. Now you people bow down to me and let's go do something good. That's what the flesh wants. That's what you want. In your flesh, that's what you want. But Jesus is not that kind of a leader. Neither was David. David, that was what made David so unique. He literally stayed under the authority of his enemy that was trying to kill him. Because he just wanted to be in the government of God. He wanted to be in the kingdom of God. He didn't want to own the kingdom of God. He wanted to be in it. Saul wanted to own it. Okay? Okay, so let us consider, uh, I'm sorry, through the veil, that is his flesh. Okay, so this is the veil. Is It's our hardest of heart to try and know about God without turning to the Lord. Okay, that's the veil. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another. This is the tabernacle of David. When you hear that, you're like, oh, this is a corporate thing. This is a corporate reality of going in through the veil to the flesh. This a corporate reality of not trying to know God without turning to him. This is a corporate turning to him and we'll get to know him as we turn him, you know, if you do church like this, it's very difficult. People want some person who's qualified to get up and tell everybody else what to know about God. This is different. This is a group of people turning to God and then God raining down knowledge on them. And that's disruptive. It's stirring each other up to love and good works. Have you experienced any of this? You have. <laughs> you have, if you've come to any of these meetings, you have already, and probably for years you've been experiencing some of this, and you thought maybe in that context, this is, we got to iron all these wrinkles out, but these wrinkles are it. You can't iron these wrinkles out. This is what it is, and this is what Israel needs to see as a group of people, not trying to iron out all the wrinkles, trying to be undone themselves, right? 
This is what, I mean, when I say this, can you picture David being like, I don't need to un- iron out all the wrinkles. I'm, sin- I'm, I'm only going to be sinful without him. I'm never going to not be sinful without him. I just want to get close to him. Let's go in. And he throws up a tent that's illegal in Israel and puts the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy thing possible, in David's tent and then tells other people, come in, let's worship him. And I'll tell you, I got the Holy Spirit. I'll give it to you too. That's generous. David could have used the spirit to manipulate Israel. That's what, that's what Saul literally was on his way to doing. That's how Saul got rejected. But David didn't do that. He didn't want to own it. He didn't want to be the guy who knew it. He wanted to be a leader like God. And you have to be this way if you want to be a witness to Israel so that she can see Yeshua. Not the Western fabrication of Jesus that's not real. Not real. And there's a huge false witness in the church right now of a fabricated Jesus that doesn't carry the heart of David. And Israel needs to see David right now. That Jeremiah passage is real. She's been gathered from the nations. She's being shaken among the nations right now. He says, I'm not going to lose one true grain, but I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David. That's what he's doing right now, if you can see it, if you can get eyes to see it. And if you can say, I don't need to iron out all the wrinkles so this works better. I need to be undone by this thing. And it's working great because it's undoing me. Is it undoing you? It should be a little bit. It's working great. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So we just want to turn to the Lord, right, and then have him give us the thing that makes us a witness to the rest of Israel, okay? Now forsaking the assemblies, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I just really feel like Samantha was prophesying. Didn't really, she, didn't, she never looks at the notes before um, I get to speak. She had no idea that she was prophesying this very thing when she was praying earlier today. And this is the spirit of prophecy. For if we sin willfully, and it is willful sin to turn church into anything but this. It's willful sin. The Bible says this so many times. And just because you live in an apostate culture where nobody cares about it doesn't mean it's not willful sin when you know about it. We can't be torn between the way the world does church and the way the church does church. We have to decide. It's either about the tabernacle of David, it's either Jesus' house is a house of prayer, or it's not. And we, it's right now is the time to decide. This is what it is, and that doesn't mean it all works great. That means it's, un, it's the undoing of us all that do it. Because we're not praying about God changing the world. We're praying about God changing us. Okay? That's the whole point of the house of prayer. Now, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I feel like the Holy Spirit's asking me, how are you exhorting one another to press in, to press on, to do more, to, to, to be undone more? How are you exhorting one another? You all are. It's important that you know how Because that's your function in the body of Jesus. It's the way that you do that. And you want to actually be mindful. You want to be praying into it. You all do it. I I, I experience it from you often. But do you know how you do it? Do you know how God is using you right now? Abe, when you go back to IHOPKC, do you know how God is going to use you to exhort other people into their own death? This is important that you know. Otherwise, you're wasting Jesus' time wherever you are. And 
This is a maturing thing. That's what Abe was preaching about uh, yesterday. It's not like, okay, I did it wrong and I want to do it right. It's how can I go from glory to glory, strength to strength? How can I do it more? How do I see other people doing it more? Maybe I don't have to go A, B, C, D, E. Maybe I, as part of the body of Christ, I can see, oh, there's somebody at like G. I'm going to do it like they do it, right? I can see it's working for them. And so I'm going to ask God, God, help me to be somebody that's a witness of you in the midst of the people that you put me with. Let me be a part of your body in the midst of the people that you put me with. There's not a hierarchy here. Now, hopefully there never will be one where, like, you've got to spend a couple years here before you get to say stuff that matters. You should be able to walk in the door filled with the Spirit and say stuff that matters. Get go right now. It's just a matter of knowing God, knowing people that know God and how they got to know him, not knowing what they know about God. Knowing, getting to know how they know God. And if we'll do that, we'll actually honor each other in the way that God individually manifests himself in each of us. If we just try to know what each other knows about God, we'll actually take from each other. And it won't honor any part of the body of Jesus. It will disconnect from the body of Jesus. Okay? Now, the promise of Zechariah 12, Romans 10 and 11, Revelation 11, is that, the, that Israel is going to see Jesus as the son of David. It's prophesied that that's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen, but you want to be a part of the process of it happening. It's actually in the tabernacle of David that the Jewish people and Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah will find a common view of God, and we just talked about that in Acts 15. That's clear in Acts 15. The tabernacle of David isn't only how we get a testimony. So most of us know the tabernacle of David is supposed to be a thing that gives us more revelation. But it's not just how we get this. It's not, just, it's not only a testimony of how we get uh, a testimony worth being jealous of. It's where we can see Israel looking for the testimony of their Messiah. I'm going to say that one more time. The tabernacle of David isn't just like a good machine that works good for getting us revelation. The tabernacle of David is like a, it's like, I just picture like a snow globe. It's actually what Israel's eyes are on. We just don't know that. We don't understand. That's what Israel's looking for is the tabernacle of David. And we're going to catch her eye when we do it. We're going to catch her eye because that's what she's looking for. And the reason the church mostly hasn't impacted Israel positively is because the church mostly for the last 2,000 years hasn't done the tabernacle of David. But it has in many ways. It has done the tabernacle of David in many ways. And you're living in the moment of time, according to the Bible, that it's going to happen globally. Now, when I first started to care about the, the tabernacle of David or night and day prayer, there were not that, I mean, there were a lot, but there weren't nearly as many as there are now. Most small towns have a house of prayer in them at this point. IHOP has done something so glorious to the world by streaming their live stream that literally, I mean, we could find hundreds of them in Michigan now. When I first started, there were maybe 10, but there's hundreds of them here now. Now, most of them meet like we do, like a few hours here, a few hours there. Some of them only meet one hour a week, but they have this vision for praying prophetically to music and a prophetic response coming from music. We're all working out different ways of doing that. The body of Christ in one place, is that like, a, you know, for that analogy of A, B, C, D, E, some places it's a G, some places it's an H, some places it's, a, you know, a Y. It's like we don't have to all become IHOP KC. We just have to know what God's called us to do, and we can actually value and honor what God's doing all over the world in the tabernacle of David. There are several tabernacles of David in Jerusalem right now, several. And like we can actually see, oh, when it gets there, there's a, there's a satanic war against this happening. You know that, right? 
And it's not working. It's actually the satanic war is failing. The Tabernacle of David in Jerusalem, I can tell you, the church that I see there is changing so rapidly that when we go and come back, when we go again in a a couple weeks or a few weeks, the church is maturing there at such a rate we can literally see it with our eyes. We can hear people say to us, we were praying this in the fall, and we can see it manifesting now. Now, I could say the same thing about us, right? There's, we, are, we are maturing because we're asking God to mature us. It's working is what I'm saying. It's working. This is great news. Don't lose heart. It's going to be narrow. Few are going to find it, but you are part of the few. Don't lose your crown. Don't lose the, just because you have a little strength and have not denied his name and he's opened a door for you. And then he says, don't lose your crown to Philadelphia. Don't lose it. Stay in this area where you're getting broken in your heart, where you're being shown your faults, where you're embracing a cross. Count it all joy when somebody points out your junk to you, whether they do it intentionally or not. Count it joy. That's the point. Being undone is the point, okay? Okay, so it's not just a, a testimony. It's not, the tabernacle of David isn't only how we get a testimony worth being jealous of. It's where we can see Israel looking for the testimony of their Messiah. Matthew twenty-two forty-one to 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said, The son of David. They know this. I mean, Israel knows. That's what they're looking for, somebody like David. They just can't recognize in the flesh what made David a man after God's heart. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Do you know the the humility of David? David prophesied this in the Psalms. But the humility of David to say, there's going to, I'm going to have an offspring and I'm going to, he's going to be my king. Could you imagine David looking at Elisha and be like, Elisha, you're going to be my king and I'm going to worship you. Isn't that, that's humility, that's crazy humility for David to be like, I'm going to have a kid and he might have a kid, and he might have a kid, and I'm going to worship my offspring. Most people in the flesh would say, no, that makes me the greatest. I'm greater than that. But David didn't see life that way at all. He was completely in the heart of, I mean, he wasn't perfect, but he had a faith in the plan of God that was unique, okay? And this is what we need. We need a faith in God's character that's unique, okay? So this is what he says. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? That's what they couldn't get. They could not get the humility of David. It didn't make sense to them. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. They knew he was right. They're like, we don't know. It does not compute. Breaks the computer because we don't expect a humble king. And they're literally talking to the humble king who refuses to tell them, I am this one. He doesn't say that to them. He lets them be themselves. He literally lets them be their own fleshy selves. So the tabernacle of David or the temple, it is the footstool that he's talking about right here. Do you see what I'm saying? So when, when he uses this example for the Pharisees that could not see who he was, he says to them, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He's literally saying to them, that this is about the tabernacle of David. Clearly in the Bible, the footstool of God is the throne. Or the, th- the throne. It is the temple. It is the tabernacle of David. Earth, the, the heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool. That reality literally always finds home base 
on the Temple Mount according to the scriptures. And I give you a ton of them. First Chronicles 28.2, First Chronicles 9.18, Psalms 99.5, Psalms 110.1, Psalm 127.7, Isaiah 66.1, Lamentations. The most sobering is Lamentations 2.1. But I didn't put that in the notes because if you want that, that's... That will break your heart for about five, ten minutes. First Chronicles 28.2. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house for the rest of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. What is that house? Where does the Ark of the Covenant go? Permanent house that has the Ark of the Covenant is called the temple. Very good, Abigail. Yes. He says, I, David says, I had it in my heart to build this, this temple, the house for the rest of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and for the footstool of our God. That is the same thing. That's what he's saying, is the temple is the footstool. That's just one of several examples in the Bible. So when you see Jesus saying to the Pharisees, hey, you guys, David said this crazy thing, guys. <laughs> what, why did he say this? That the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And he, they don't know. I think only Jesus at this point knows. I'm talking about the very temple you're in charge of. And then I, he went in and threw over the tables and said, it's a house of prayer, guys. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. He said this to them so many ways, but they could not see it because they had hard hearts and they wanted to understand it, not look at his miracles and say, whatever this man says, we got to know it. And so God, will you show us if this man is your son? Show us how he's your son. They wouldn't humble themselves and just make that simple turn to the Lord. But I want to tell you, neither will you. Unless you intentionally find out your own junk, you won't either. There's all kinds of ways you assume things about God and that you assume he likes you just trying to know him without turning to him and asking him. But he does not like that. That is not how he is. That's not how Jesus was. That's not how any of the disciples were. And they were like, where did these guys get their knowledge? They got their knowledge from hanging out with Jesus. They got their knowledge from spending time with God. That's where they got their knowledge. That's where you're supposed to get your knowledge too. Okay? It's not that you're supposed to have no knowledge. It's that you're supposed to have the humility of the order of operations of the way that it works. Okay. Item two, why couldn't Israel see David and Jesus? Israel couldn't see David and Jesus because they could not see the government of God. Everybody say government of God. When they looked at Jesus, they did not see a king. When they heard Jesus, they didn't hear governmental decrees. But we study the red letters like they're governmental decrees, don't we? He is a king to us, right? Why? Why is he a king to us? David, why is he a king to us? He's our savior. Why is he our savior? Like, how do we come to that knowledge? By the Holy Spirit. We see him as a king, and we study his words like they're governmental decrees because we have the spirit. If you don't have the spirit, you study him like a textbook. You just want to know what they mean. But when you have the spirit... They're like a king saying things to you that change your life, right? They change your direction. This is what God is looking for in the earth. He doesn't want us to just stop at the words. We have the Spirit still speaking to us. He wants us to be a prophetic people that see Jesus as a king. And every, we don't live on bread alone. We live on every word he speaks. Do you see what I'm saying? This is, this is the prophetic nature of the tabernacle of David. So if we come here and we don't do it prophetically, we're actually a false witness, We're like taking something so holy and so intended for a specific purpose and then reducing it down to something we can understand and just do. And that destroys it, 
Okay, and that's what Jesus, when he's looking at the, the people in the temple and he throws over the, te- the tables of the money changers, he's like, you've corrupted it. It's supposed to be a house of talking to God. It's supposed to be a place where people are prophetic. It's supposed to be a place where it'd be better to say nothing until I hear God than to say a thousand things that are for God, but I don't even know if that's what he's saying. It'd be better to come here and say nothing than to say things that are not actually, now you have to hear this right though. We prophesy according to our faith. So I've never, I've never had the experience where I've asked God for something and he hasn't given me something to believe. I've had lots of times where I wasn't sure that was him, but he's never, not one time, not giving me some thought in my mind that was something I could believe in. So he's super generous with his word. We're just very stingy with our faith. So when I say you got to come here and pray prophetically, that's actually so easy if you have the humility to have faith and to recognize I'm going to be wrong sometimes. If you've always got to be right, you'll never do it, and you'll never will always be right. But if you're willing to be faithful and try like David. Now, David brought in his military commander's kids, not even his military commanders that were used to taking orders from David. He brought in their kids who weren't used to taking orders from David, and he taught them to prophesy. Anybody can do this, literally. That was before the Spirit had been poured out. That was before Jesus had died on a cross and breathed the Spirit on his disciples and said, you can have it as much as you know, freely I give. David taught people to prophesy. We can easily prophesy ourselves and teach others to prophesy if we have faith. We mostly lack faith to pray prophetically, it's, and that takes a lot of energy. When you're, when you're fighting a faith battle, it takes a ton of energy to prophesy. But once you start to win that faith battle, it gets easier and easier and easier to prophesy. This is, the, this is a trajectory, glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith. So when you hear me say this, you could say, Well, I don't know. I haven't learned that for myself yet, Tom. And God would say, but are you a part of Jesus's body? Because Jesus's body has learned this. It actually says it over and over in the word, and you have examples of it among you. Can you just embrace that that's the case and go from one person's glory to another glory? Can you do that? That would take humility. That would take faith. That would take trusting God. But you can do it. We live in a very individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'll have my 10 acres. You have your 10 acres. Don't come too close to me. I won't come too close to you. Everybody has to do everything on their own. That's an anti-Christ culture. It's an anti-Christ. That's not a, that's not a Hebrews 10, stir each other up in love and good works culture. We have to get out of the American culture and into a humility that says, God is generous, good. He understands I'm trying. He's not trying to squash me. He's trying to lift me up, and I can try. I can just try. It's okay. He's so good. He just wants faith. He doesn't, he's not actually expecting me to be something I'm not. He's expecting me to yield what I am to him in belief and to see the other examples he's given around me and to say, it does work. I actually see examples of God's presence in other people's lives and the fruit of it and the decisions they make to go hard after him. I want that too. I want to go from that glory to the next glory, not feel condemned and jealous in my own place and impatient. Do you see what I'm saying? It's very different. This is what Israel needs to see. Okay, so Israel couldn't see David and Jesus because they could not see the government of God. They couldn't see the government of God because they couldn't see authority from God's perspective. Revelation produces authority. And when you see Revelation, you're supposed to actually recognize authority. Matthew 8, 5 to 13. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. 
For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Isn't that amazing that he didn't commend him for his knowledge of the way a government works? He said, you see me this way? You recognize that I'm a king under a... You see God over me? Is what he's saying. You see my father over me? Do you see that in other people? Do you see that in the body of Jesus? Do you see the father over some people? And you're like, hey... We need to do this together. That's what the centurion was doing. The centurion understood government. Jesus didn't commend him for understanding government. He commended him for seeing Jesus was a king. He understood, he, he commended him for understanding the, what the body of, of the Messiah looked like. Now listen to the rest of what he says. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. I just, I mean, I want to make Jesus marvel. <laughs> Lord, help me. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you've believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. This is a man after God's heart. Right? The, the centurion was a man after God's heart. He recognized something very unique that all of Israel could not see. David saw something most of Israel could not see, which was the throne room of God. He could see it. It says in, in uh, the Psalms, it says, when I look at the heavens, there I can see in those movements the, the government of God, the governance of God. Can you see that all around you? Can you see this isn't, we're not in some risk game that it might work out good, it might work out bad. Just look at the way the stars move. Who put them there? Who put the heartbeat in you? Who decided to put you in the perfect circumstances for the, what you've learned in your life so far? This isn't some risk game. It's obvious that there is a God. It's obvious that he's kind. It's obvious that he loves. I mean, if, if, if he wasn't a, a kind, benevolent, generous God, he wouldn't have made flowers beautiful. He wouldn't have made butterflies so light and fluffy. He wouldn't have made a blue sky that feels good. He wouldn't have made the sun's rays touch you. And you're like, wow. He wouldn't have sent his own son to die for you if he wasn't good and benevolent. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to recognize the government of God all around us. We're in the, what I'm trying to say to you is be free to. Be free to. You don't have to figure out if people are good or evil. Recognize the government of God. Mankind fell trying to figure out who's good and who's evil. We have to recognize the government of God. Where's the fruit of the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control? Where's the generosity of spirit? Where are people trying to accumulate power? And where are people trying to give it away? Recognize the government of God, right? If Israel could have just seen this about David, that David wasn't trying to accumulate power, he's actually trying to give it away, they would have seen David in Jesus. Jesus gave the money box to Judas. If they could have seen the, the way that David dealt with Saul, they could have seen Jesus dealing with Herod and Pilate. But they couldn't see that because they would never do that themselves. You see, that's what keeps us from seeing the Lord is what we would do ourselves. We have to be a people that are willing to say, God is so much more generous than I am. 
He's so much more forgiving than I am. He's so much more kind. That can give me a freedom to just try. I can just try knowing he's so good. He's so good. Matthew 12, 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They didn't know the Father. They didn't know the goodness of God. They didn't know the generosity. They didn't know God like David did. So they couldn't see Jesus was acting just like David. But Jesus is about to tell them that, okay? But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat. Now, when, when you fault find, when you accuse, are you like Jesus or are you like the Pharisees? The Pharisees, yeah. And he would say, you have to recognize, they brought me a lady that was, she was literally found in the act. And I intervened for her. Like, I actually had something to say about that. I wasn't neutral. He wrote it in the dirt. Anybody that would have gotten on their knees with him would have seen what he was writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt. Because nobody got on their knees with him and recorded it. But we can be like Jesus. We can be like him. And if we think God is out there fault-finding and fact-finding, we got God way wrong. There's no one righteous. No one righteous. So if you're like, I just want to find the righteous ones, you will waste your life in vain. There's none righteous. But can you actually learn the government of God that's full of mercy? Not untrue, not glossing over what's true. Jesus didn't gloss over truth. In fact, he looked at the lady that was caught in adultery. He said, go and sin no more. I find you guilty is what he said. But he said, I'm generous and merciful in that. Can you speak truth and love? That's the question. Can you say what's true without giving up on people? Can you, can you, most of our categorizing of people is an attempt to not have to deal with them. Okay, if you're bad, I don't have to deal with you. I can just move on in my life. But can we not discard things that are broken? Like God doesn't discard things that are broken. He said that to me this week. Can we actually look for redemption? Can we, can we afford to be like God? Only if you're in the tabernacle of David. Only if you're in this place. This is what made David the way he was, and this is what made Jesus so profoundly radical in his day was that he only did what he saw the Father doing. He literally said, I could do nothing of my own accord. I literally live in the tabernacle of David. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple, speaking of himself, obviously. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not have condemned the guiltless. Did he say he didn't break the law? He didn't claim that he didn't break the law. He said, David broke the law. He said, I'm guiltless. And what he was saying is, your law is your understanding of something perfect. It's got all kinds of loopholes in it because of your understanding, not because it's not perfect. You can't recognize, I am the law. I am the word. I am the word that Moses carried down the mountain. They couldn't see it, right? He is that word, right? He is the word on those tablets, and if you've got the spirit, you've got the author of the law inside of you. But you have to have faith. 
You have to have confidence to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're stirring up each other in love and good works. If we're stirring up each other in love and good works, we're not stirring up each other in understanding the law better, right? There's no love and good works coming from the law. We're, under, we're stirring up each other to understand the Spirit better. That's different, right? So even this teaching, I think this is good teaching. I think it's pretty good. This won't, this won't help you unless the Spirit gives you something. Do you see what I'm saying? You can think about the things that I'm telling you, and that might be a better use of your time than what you might have done otherwise, but it won't help you grow into a God-like person unless you gaze on Jesus and go from this glory to the next glory, to go from this strength to the next strength. And what I'm saying to you is not perfect, but there is God in it. I can tell you that for sure. There's God in it. And you can take that, and I can take from you what you tell me where there's God, and then we can learn to discern God together in weak and broken people and become like David and Jesus, right? Why did Jesus pick uneducated, weak, and broken people to build his kingdom? Come on, this is Mike Bickle line. It's the only kind there are. <laughs> that's it. The Pharisees just didn't know they were that. But that's what they were too, right? Or have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, that the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you, in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus didn't get authority from what he could do. Jesus received authority from a humility to be led by God. That's where his authority came from. He came as a baby. He did not come as a king where a bunch of people, like the, after the Magi left the gifts, they left. We don't ever hear about the Magi following around and telling people, hey, this is a great king. We don't even hear about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh ever again. Like, did they sell it? What, did, what happened to it? Like, did Mary have it in her house? I don't know. He learned authority. He learned obedience, according to the Bible. He suffered. Like, he did things so that we could do them too. He didn't need to do that for himself. He did that for us. So he wants us to have authority like he does, but we have to get it through the humility to be led by God. That's the only way the authority comes. You can't have somebody lay hands on you and have a hard heart that doesn't humble itself before God and have it work. But you can have somebody lay their hands on you and have a soft heart and get something from the Lord through another part of his body. You can. It does work. According to the Bible, it works. Jesus received authority from a humility to be led by God, to not do what he could. Jesus could have turned the stones into bread. He did not. That's where his authority came from. Do you see what I'm saying? The Pharisees, they couldn't see that. Israel can't see that David, there were lots of things David could have done that he didn't do. Lots of things. I mean, the the whole story of David in, in, in 1 Samuel is about things David didn't do that he could have done. Do we do that? Or do we just try to do as much as we can to make our lives better? Mostly, we try to do as much as we can to make our lives better. There's a lot of things that we could choose to not do. We could actually choose to not defend ourselves. We could choose to not be right. We could choose to not be the one that's the center of attention. We could choose to not be the one that does all the things. We could, there's so many. I mean, I don't do this well. You guys know me. But there's a witness of the Spirit that it's available. And in this season, Israel's going to see it. I feel, I feel like this is why he sent me to Israel to not do stuff. And it's working. It's working. And when God sent us to Israel, he told us not to contact anybody. Don't let anybody know why you're there. Just show up at prayer meetings. Don't say a word. 
And we did it for literally the first time we were there for about three months. It was in the last two weeks that we were there, people started to say, there's something so different about you guys. Like, what is it? And I wanted to say, it's just, we're not trying to tell you what you need to know about us. <laughs> like, that's the, literally the only, but we want to so bad. <laughs> but Israel needs this witness. She needs a witness of people that are satisfied. And God, Jen was preaching a couple of weeks ago about that Psalm 131 reality where you're just like, oh, a child weaned is a child that doesn't, that is like off of the, off of it, right? And it can just lay there and knowing there's something so close that it doesn't actually have to have right this second. Like we can be that. We can actually be that. We can mature right now. This led Jesus, this, this idea that he, could, he, did, he, was, he got his authority uh, by not doing what he could and only said, instead only doing what he saw the Father doing. This led Jesus to pray and worship as his only way to get direction. Luke 6, 12 to 13, probably the most important ministry decision Jesus ever made because this is the foundation of the church right here. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from there, from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. He did this not of his own logic. He literally went and prayed all night and God told him what to do and he went and did it. Isn't that amazing? That was a big risk, those, those 12 guys. Were all of them good? Were any of them good? No. But some of them were faithful. Some of them were faithful. John 15, 19 to 20. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son. Do you see the confidence in God's heart towards Jesus? You know, he is tempted in every way you are. That means there were moments he was like, God, do you love me? God, do you see me? He's tempted in every way you are. You ever felt that? You ever been like, God, do you love me? Do you see me? Are you mad at me? He wrestled these things out successfully. Successfully, right? He says, the Father loves me. The Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Jesus saw all these things in faith. According to the Bible, he saw all these things in faith. He didn't have like a TV screen in the, you know, the back room of Mary and Joseph's house. And he's like, don't show anybody this, son, but I'm going to show you what we're going to do. He had to receive it in faith just like you do. He had to believe in the movie screen of his mind, in the still small voice of the Lord like Elijah. David didn't do everything right. David didn't have like a direct Ethernet connection to God's throne. He did things in faith. And so do you, Right? David didn't get authority from his great strength or ability. He got authority from being led by God. Saul tried to get authority from his own good ideas for God and was completely rejected. David waited on God. This led David to pray and worship as the way to get direction. God is enthroned on praise, not effort. And I give you that Psalm 22 that we've, we've talked about many times, so we won't uh, read that right now. Now, when you hear this, this last part of Psalm 22, I guess we'll read this, verse 4. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you and you delivered them. This is the same reality as uh, Psalm 118, which we talked about in the siege of Jerusalem. Israel is putting her trust in man. She needs to put her trust in the Lord. She's going to do that when she sees the church put our trust in the Lord. That's what we've been talking about all night. Do you see that? That's what we've been talking about all night. That's what Israel's waiting for. This is what David prophesied. And this is actually the Psalm 22 prophecy is actually a prophecy of Jesus on the cross. Now, a couple things I'll point out, even though we're not going to read it. I highlighted to the chief musician. David was probably one of the most anointed musicians in Israel. When he played his harp, demons literally fled and it was on record. 
but he wrote a psalm and gave it to somebody else to sing and to play. It's set to a tune. It was musical, and it's a psalm of David. This is all about the tabernacle of David. All, of, all the stuff we've talked about tonight is literally all about the tabernacle of David. Israel did not understand where Jesus' authority came from and therefore couldn't see where David's authority came from. This led them to long for what David did, not the way he was led. Most people that are in the church, they are fed constantly what God wants to do for them, not how people that know God are led to their own death. If you're like, most of your experience of Jesus is crying out to him and having him assure you that he'll do the thing that you need, you're at a very immature experience of Jesus. When you get to the point where, you're, where you look at Jesus for what he wants, and you're like, whatever it costs me, I want to bring it to you. That's when you're just starting to mature a little bit. And when you get to the point where you're like, I just want to know the fellowship of that same suffering. I, I literally, even if you don't get anything from it, I just want to be in it with you. That's mature Christianity. When you look at that cross, you're like, I want to climb up there with you. That's mature Christianity, to know the fellowship of his suffering. Do you see what I'm saying? We, you can't go, but you can ask for it. You can see other people who have done it. There's been saints throughout history that have done this, and they've been like, I want to be a martyr with him. Can you pray that prayer? That takes some faith. That takes some faith to ask him for that sincerely. Okay. Now, this led them to long for what David did, but not the way that he was led, which manifested in the tabernacle of David. So the way David was led was by gazing on God, studying his emotions. That manifested as the tabernacle of David. David didn't make the tabernacle for God. God made it for David. God gave it to David. So you could be like, oh, I'm going to start a tabernacle because I want to be like a man after God's own heart. But that's what Israel would say. They won't see Yeshua that way. Did Yeshua build God anything? No. He just was led like David. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to be a people that are like, whatever happens with the tabernacles up to God, I want to be a person that understands the leadership of it, the authority of it. I want to walk in the way of it. I want to stir each other up in love and good works, whether it's in my bedroom, in my car, at work, you know, wherever it is. And I want to ask him to manifest a tabernacle of David. Now, typically when God gives us something, we start to try to take it from there, God. I'll take it. Okay, thank you. I'll take it from here, God. We'll make sure we keep it good for you. That's the first off-ramp to the heart of Saul. Now, I'm going to stop here. If uh, Abigail, you want to come back up? I did not get through all five pages of the notes. I'm going to have to pray for forgiveness on that one. I'm joking. But I will. Um, Stand with me. This last part of the notes, I'm not going to ever revisit this with you. Read it. If you're interested in the stuff we've been talking about tonight and you're like, I I haven't really thought about things this way before, this will actually give you a little uh, diving board so you can jump in. It will help you, that last part of the notes. I feel like what God wants us to actually receive from him tonight is a grace to be human. Jesus came and became human, like fully, fully man, fully God and fully man. Like his underarms stank sometimes. His feet were dirty. If he ate garlic... He was a guy. You don't have to be ashamed. You can be free. 
You can just be you. You didn't even make you. God made you. You can just be beautiful because you are. You're stunning to God. You really are. You can just be fun. He made you to enjoy you. You can be weak. He intentionally designed your weaknesses so you'd need him. Holy Spirit, in this room, I bind shame in the name of Jesus. I cancel its assignment against all of us. I bind hypocrisy. There's a spirit of hypocrisy that we all know is there. We try to just kind of keep him in the back corner. But we can actually get rid of him. You can get rid of hypocrisy by not claiming to be anything. Holy Spirit, release freedom in this room. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yeshua, thank you for showing us a little bit of who you are tonight. Would you show us, Father David, in your son? I thank you that he was literally born of the same gene pool as David. David's blood flowed through his veins. He was raised by a dad who was related to David as well, even though he wasn't his biological son. The values of David's family surrounded him. Lord, show us where we have David in us, that we're joined to the body of Jesus. Show us, Lord, where the Spirit wants to impart the heart of David, the confidence of David into us. I bind I bind right now in the name of Jesus the accusation against you that God doesn't love you. I cancel it right now. God loves you so much. He sent his only son. He loves you so much. You are the apple of his eye. God, would you raise up a witness of being loved in this house that we could afford, Lord, to just spend time with each other because we're so loved. We don't need anybody else to give us anything. We get so much from you. We can afford to just pour out Lord, raise up a river in this place. Overflow, Jesus, from our souls. Overflow from the place of love. Pour out, God. Pour out. Where we're trying to be somebody that we're not, God, we repent. Just tell them, I'm sorry. I've been trying to be better for you. I'm sorry. As if we could improve on what you've done, Jesus. Make us like you. Make us like you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you.